You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Hey, it's an exciting day. I really enjoy this uh, this topic today that we're getting into. We're in the tenth week of the foundation series. We took a break for three weeks during the Christmas holidays. We're back and we're on to, I believe, in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let's pray. Lord God, this day we celebrate that you've made us a family that is so huge. We can't get our arms around it, but you wrap us in your everlasting arms. And we thank you, Lord, not only for this place and this fellowship, but that we are part of something so huge, greater than anything, Lord, and you are growing it daily. We thank you, Lord, for our Christian friends, our Christian brothers and sisters across the globe, in every culture, in every place. But we also lift up, Lord, this area, the one Christian church in many different expressions in our area, and we thank you, Lord, for it. And so we pray that in every, uh, in every place this day your name is glorified, in every church that you'd be blessing those who proclaim your word, those who sing your word, those who speak your word, those who pray, and that you would unite us, Lord, by your gospel, through your Holy Spirit, to be that one church in this community and world, and that you would be glorified through us. Bless our time together in your word today and in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're going to be starting in uh, the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 as our text today as we look at what the church is. And it's more what the church is rather than what the church does. And who we are makes a difference as to what we do. If you want to follow along, you can do so. Uh, there's notes under the U version of the Bible. And so on your phone or iPad or whatever smart device you've got, you can get to that. Uh, Thrive Community Church. And we're going to be uh, starting with 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone in a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're kind of going under a shift today, which is kind of fascinating as we are studying through the foundations of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. Up till now, we've been talking about who our God is and what our God has done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and now we make a shift to the Christian church, to us, you know? And immediately when we make that shift, there are people who will say, I'm supposed to believe in the Christian church, the communion of saints. It's so human and so fallible and so 
broken at times. And in one sense, you're totally right. We are a bunch of human beings that are gathering together here, and boy, are we a mess, okay? There's always room for more mess, okay, just to let you know. Um, So we are struggling as a human organization, and people talk about, I don't want to be a part of organized religion. Well, don't worry. We're not organized, (laughs) let me tell you. Okay, Um, and they then hear or they've experienced themselves the cliques and the politics and even the divisions that have happened and the the abuse of power that has happened in the Christian church. And they've gotten burned by the church and it's like, what am I supposed to believe about the church? Let me tell you something. I think we've all been burned by the church. I've been burned by the church and I'm the pastor. (laughs) That's happened. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. I've been burned many times by the church. (laughs) Join the club. I mean, it it is a human institution. We're a bunch of messy people and there are messy things that happen at times. Now, I'm not saying, okay, that's the excuse. Let's just be keep being messy, but it's the reality, okay? It's still the only human institution that has been set up by Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone on which, like this text says, that we are founded. He has founded this. So that's what makes the difference. And we're going to get into that today. We're going to get into that. But before we do that, you might be sick of this. You might be tired of this. But I just want to explain what the Apostles' Creed, why um, over the millennia now, almost 2,000 years, we've celebrated this creed, that we've confessed this creed, we as the Christian church. In all different cultures, all different places, this is kind of the foundations, the basics of the faith. And what we're saying are two different things when we proclaim this creed in one form or another. One is, this is who we are because of who our God is. This is our identity This is our direction in life. This is the foundational things that make our lives what they are and who we're about. And this is where our allegiance is. This is what we pledge our lives to. We say that. And so in some ways, when we've used the Apostles' Creed, it's not simply just reciting words. It's almost a prayer in itself to say that's what we're about and we want this to be who we are. Now, at the same time, we reject then, if this is the story, this is the narrative of our lives, we're rejecting all the other stories, all the other narratives that the world throws at us. And we've talked about some of those, and they're each an ism in one form or another, okay? A kind of way to look at the world and a way to live and a way to kind of say, this is what your life is all about. So we reject two of them today that kind of fit into this. The first is individualism, okay? And we reject the idea that I should be the center of my own universe and everything should be about me and that I am more important than anything else. And it's only as long as or so long as you're there for me, I'll be there for you. That's kind of what individualism does. Our society pushes this in a million ways. And so it becomes almost part of the um, just the the cultural waters we swim in and we don't even recognize it. Every advertisement in one form or another is so often, you deserve a break today. It's all about you individually. And they're trying to sell you how you should be the center of the universe. But not only that, even our politics and most of the appeals that are made in uh, political campaigns or whatever are 
the what's in it for me-ness, you know? It's all about, I'm going to vote for you because I'm going to get something out of you. Not what's necessarily better for society or what's better for others. It's always just what's in it for me. This not only affects the world out there, it affects the church. And this has affected the church in such ways that so many people look at the church as just another mall-type option where we are now purveyors of spiritual goods and services. And you come on Sundays or whenever the services are and you get your spiritual fix. And as long as there's a wow moment in some form, you'll be back. But if you don't feel like it was a good movie, a good show, well, then I'll go somewhere else or maybe not at all. I can get it whatever form I want. That's individualism behind it. What it also does is it devolves relationships. Individualism means all of a sudden all our connections are only so long as. Do you know what I mean? So long as Kathy's nice to me, I'll be there for her because it's all about me right? And when she doesn't, whatever, you know, well, okay, bye-bye. I'm on to the next one. Do you notice how that happens? And so even some of the most basic relationships in family, in neighborhoods, in society, in church, all of a sudden become only so long as. There's not that self of commitment. And so we reject that. We say it is not a so long as kind of God that we have. So long as you're, you know, praising me, I'm going to be there for you. That is not your God. Your God is a no matter what kind of God. And we say that's the basis of all our relationships as well. We reject that. We also, though, reject collectivism, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard of collectivism, but basically, believe it or not, in a highly individualistic society like ours, Have you ever felt like you aren't important unless there's a million of you that agree, you know, and that you've got the same opinion? And notice how many of our um, ways that we try to substantiate what should happen are based on popularity and numbers and mass. You're not a number. You're not more important because there's a million of you that kind of feel the same way. It's not the fact that the collective is more important than the individual. We don't kind of swing to that side of the pendulum because we want to get away from individualism. Okay? So we reject both individualism, collectivism, and when we say we believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, we are saying that our God has defined us by himself, not by that we are part of a mass, but our God is the one who makes us and gives us the value. And our God is the one who also connects us together so that our relationships are not just about me, but we are in this together. And so there's something very precious and amazing about it. Okay? We are created in God's image, the Bible will say. And some people have asked, what does that actually mean, being created in God's image? You know, and some people have come up with the fact that it means, well, we can think. We're reasonable human beings. I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, but it, um, and others have said, oh, there's some divine spark in each of us, and that's what we're made in God's image. Actually, I think being made in God's image is a fact that we have to look at who our God is. And what we find in the scriptures, and we found throughout this creed, is we find that God mysteriously, miraculously is a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are together in perfect harmony and unity, one God, and yet three distinct 
differentiated persons. And the fact that this means that God, at his most foundational, before he ever made a thing, before he ever did anything, from what we can tell, that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this mutual bond of love and service and giving and receiving. And the fact that then, before there was anything, there was love. God is relational at his heart. God is love. Primarily, that is, you can't take away and strip God of everything. You could take away some of his power. You could take away any of those other attributes people talk about, but you cannot take away love from God and have God at all because God is love, as 1 John 4 says. And so he's all about relationships, all about community, all about bringing us into that community. And so the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, is an expression of what it means to have this God involved in our lives. Okay. Now, the original Apostles' Creed, and some of you might be used to this, at this point in time has the word, I believe, in one holy Christian, or excuse me, one Catholic church, the communion of saints. I believe in the holy Catholic church, communion of saints. Have you ever heard of the And so why did we change it when we've confessed it to the word Christian? Okay? You might go like, wait, wait a minute. Well, it's partly simply because Catholic's a great word. Do you know what it means? It means universal. It means one. Right? It doesn't mean, but most people hear the word Catholic and they think it's Roman Catholic. That is a part of the Christian church, but not the whole Christian church. Not the, okay? The Christian church transcends any denomination in any of those expressions. And so if everybody understood the word Catholic, to be universal, it'd be a perfect word to use here. And so most of the time we say Christian just so that we understand it goes well beyond any denomination, any expression. So what does it mean to be one universal church? And kind of what I said at the beginning with our prayer. We're in a bigger family than you think, okay? Okay. You and I have brothers and sisters all, the wor- all over the world you haven't met yet, but you will someday. Boy, what a family reunion it's going to be. And the only shared language we've got is the language of the gospel. And the only shared socioeconomic status is the fact that we are here to serve one another and love one another. And the only shared culture is Jesus Christ. Okay? You and I belong to a family that goes well beyond what we can act on or imagine. All over the world in different languages this day, in different cultures, in different styles, in different contexts, in different ways and means of expression, people are praising the God of their salvation, celebrating Holy Communion, hearing his word, praying for others, serving one another, and celebrating his presence among them, and we're a part of that. Okay, so what's going on here at Thrive, as good and excited as I am to see it, it's just one little aspect of a greater, greater good, okay? We celebrate the whole Christian church, and that means for here as well. We're not just about here in Estero, us, 
wow, look at what's happening here. We're all about us. No, we see and we celebrate the fact that God has a greater movement and one church here in Estero in many different expressions, and we pray for other churches, and they support and pray for us as well. And we're going to be united in that way, in whatever way we can, okay? So it kind of understanding the fact that we're really here not for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God should humble us a bit. You know, if you're proud of Thrive, if you're thankful for it, fantastic, praise God. We're also thankful for every other church that God is using and working in, okay? And we're here to praise God for that church down the street. We're not here to serve ourselves, but we're here to serve God's kingdom. And so we always have to be thinking outside of ourselves and not just about what's going to be best for this fellowship. Now, we're global then in perspective and local in expression, okay? We're both. So from 1 Peter 2 that we've read before, we're finally going to get to this, we're going to find three different things about this church, what this church is that Jesus Christ instituted, and then we're going to take it through the grid that we've used of clarity, balance, and belonging. So these are the three things we're going to learn. First, it's glory, then it's gifts, and thirdly, it's grace. It's glory, okay? Do you realize God is not just Father, Son, Holy Spirit in relation? God is a relational God. He's known by that. If you've ever studied Greek mythology or Roman mythology, which is just basically the Greeks with different names, all their gods, or any other pantheon of gods from Nor- you know, Norway or Norse gods or whatever, the, you'll find that all these gods, they're all about attributes of power or they're local deities or they're connected to personalities or things. So like in, in you know, so you've got Zeus, who's the god of all power, right? And he's known for lightning bolts and thunder. And you've got Mars, the god of war. And you've got Aphrodite, the god of romance and love. And you've got oh, Poseidon, right? The god of the seas, right? And then you've got the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ever think of that? Do you realize our god chooses to be known as the god who calls and connects to people, specifically in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, not the greatest people, by the way. I don't know if you know this. You've got Abraham who looks at his wife and in certain circumstances says, uh, uh, take my wife, please. <laughs> Save my neck, you know, to Pharaoh and to Abimelech. So he's not necessarily the most chivalrous person. And then Isaac seems to be a ne'er-do-well father that can't keep his sons from getting on each other's case. And Jacob himself is a trickster and a cheat. And yet God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He binds himself, he ties himself to these individuals. Boy, that's glorious. That's amazingly different. And that's what God says even here. The glory of the church is that our God chooses to dwell among us and make his future our future and our future his future. 
And I don't know if you realize this either. At the time of the early church, at the time just after Paul and all, that the Roman culture looked at Christianity and said, they must be atheists. Did you know that? We were accused of being atheists because the Romans looked at us and said, wait a minute, um, they don't have a temple. Every religion has a temple. They don't have sacrifices. Every religion you sacrifice to the gods, they don't have any images of their god. They don't set them up. Every, you know, we could see Zeus, we could see statues of all these people. We don't have any of this stuff. What, they, and every religion had a priesthood. You know, special people setting up at these temples, doing the sacrifices, making sure that we were connecting right to this God and stuff. And there is no priesthood in Christianity, in this religion. They must be atheists. They don't have any of the trappings of any other religion. And even for the Jewish background, the Jewish faith, though they never had an image of God because they were forbidden to do so, they still had a temple, they still had priests, and they still made sacrifices, but not the Christians. Peter says, this is a glorious thing that has happened, a radical thing that has happened, that has transformed everything because it's not about the religion, it's about the relationship. And notice what he says. He says that you yourselves are those living stones being built together into the temple where God dwells. Do you get it? You are the temple. We'll get into it a little more. Jesus would say it this way, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. It's in those relationships. It's all about that. And when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, which is kind of the opposite of what anybody else would do, they would, he would have taken the Egyptians, they were more cultured and left the slaves there. But God rescues Israel and takes them to be his own possession. He brings them to Mount Sinai. He covenants with them. He binds himself to this people. And this is what he says in Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be me, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Sound a little familiar? Because Peter's using all of this language. He's saying everything that Israel was has now been transferred to the church. He's saying, of all the places in this world, of all the choices that God could make, of all the places where God's glory could dwell as it dwelt on Mount Sinai and the thunder and the lightning and the cloud of his presence there, he has chosen now to dwell in his people, you and me. Now, let me tell you, I love nature. I love being out and seeing a beautiful, glorious sunrise or sunset. Usually sunset's better for me than sunrise. It's a little early. I love, though, going up into the mountains, hiking in them, and just seeing the beauty of that creation. But I'll tell you one thing. I have never, ever heard a mountain speak to me and say, God loves you. You are forgiven. He has redeemed you through Jesus Christ. Have you? I've never been able to speak to a tree as majestic as the redwoods in California that I've seen, and a tree listened to me and then responded and encouraged me or pray for me. Have you? And I've never been able to see a sunset 
give me that assurance or anything. But I get it here among his people. I get it in relationships with you. I hear who he is, what he is about, and what he is doing. That's the glory of the church. It seems hidden, but it's right here. His presence breaks out in our relationships as we pray for one another, serve one another, love one another, give preference to one another, forgive one another, confess our sins to one another, open up to one another. All of those things happen right here. It's the glory of the church. Now on to his gifts. It's kind of related. You know... The scriptures here say, nah. Peter doesn't say you have a royal priesthood, but you are a royal priesthood. You know the difference? Let's look at the passage itself. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Most cultures, most religions have a special priesthood, a special group of people, whether it's shamans, if you study cultural anthropology, shamans or priests, or someone who becomes the bridge. And that's what the word priest really means, is a bridge builder. Someone who represents the people to God and God to the people. And so there's this bridge or this gap. Every culture knows you just don't enter into God's presence on your own. You've got to have somebody intermediary come in between and kind of get there because who Ooh, you know, we don't want to touch this stuff. And here, it's not that we have a priesthood. We don't have this elite class or this class that's set apart. We are a priesthood. Every one of us is a priesthood. And notice it's not just any priesthood, but a royal priesthood. That brings up the whole idea of kingly of queenly, of being royalty in God's house. And you start seeing this language in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he talks about a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God to proclaim, etc. And you start seeing the fact that the three offices of the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king have now been all translated and all happening so that every Christian is prophetic, every Christian is apostolic that is sent, every Christian is kingly, royal, and every Christian is priestly. Every Christian is all three of those offices in one form or another, and you are the gifts. There are no more elites. There are no more. You are the bridge maker to the people in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family, and you're able to speak God's excellencies into the lives of them, and you are to pray, and you can pray to them. And everyone in the church is gifted as prophet, priest, and king. Okay? Everyone. And we're gifted in such a way as well that we are interdependent with each other. No one has all the gifts. Some may be more prophetic that they are able to speak God's word and the words of the gospel into the lives of people with courage and boldness. Other people might be much more the priest who is able to connect people to God and his gospel through prayer as well as ministry gifts. And still others might be more kingly in the fact that they are able to organize the kingdom and make sure things are going well. But all of us are gifted in these ways. We all have those spiritual gifts because Jesus Christ, the ultimate king, 
that great high priest and the one who is the word of God, the prophetic voice of God, has laid down his life for us and he equips us with those. And if you read about anywhere in the New Testament about spiritual gifts, whether it's in Ephesians 4 or 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, or even in 1 Peter where he talks about spiritual gifts, you'll find that they all fit into these three categories of prophet, priest, and king. I don't care what the manifestation is. It's to bring God's word. It's to connect people to God. It's to minister. It's to organize. It's to lead. And it's all for the sake of God's kingdom. So here at Thrive, we're all gifted. Each one of us is royal. Each one of us is prophetic. Each one of us has the role of being the bridge builder and the connector. We're all the royal priesthood of God. Now, finally, on to the grace. And that's kind of been coming up all the way along, but I think he makes it even more specific and emphatic in 1 Peter 2.10, the last verse. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We probably read over that and go like, oh, that's great. That's nice. Um, It's really a historical reference, and everyone would have known it that 1 Peter wrote to, to the prophet Hosea. It's quite the book, by the way, if you read it. The first couple chapters are the story of his life. And Hosea was called at a time when God's people were a mess. And um, he was called by God to marry, um, well, Gomer, okay? Don't name your kid Gomer. I don't care about Gomer Pyle. I don't know how he got the name anyways, because Gomer was a female name, and she was, well, a woman who kind of got around, okay? (laughs) A lot. And she has a couple children. I don't know if they're even Hosea's children, because one of them is called Lo-Ami, which is not my people. (laughs) Sounds not mine, somebody else's. And then another child called Lo-Ruhama, which is not Mercy, no mercy for you. No mercy. Wow. You know? And then God comes to Hosea and says, You know what? Your marriage to Gomer is like my marriage and relationship to Israel. That's how bad it is. I've been faithful, I've been there, and they have not. They've gone all over the place. But then what does God do? He calls to Hosea and he says, Okay, your wife has left, get her back. Go and buy her back from the slavery she's put herself in and the human trafficking situation she's in and be your husband again. Can you imagine that? And God does the same with us. So once we weren't a people and now we are his people. Once we had no mercy, but now we have been shown mercy. What does this all mean? Notice Peter doesn't say you are a choice people. He says you are a chosen people. I'm not so choice. (laughs) You know? There's nothing in me. It's all God's grace. He's the one who's called us. He has chosen us. It's by God's grace. Just like it came to Abraham, you know, the take my wife please, Abraham. 
and to Isaac, the ne'er-do-well father, and to Jacob, the schnook, God calls you and me by his grace alone. So what becomes a stumbling block to many that we're a bunch of broken, flawed people that God has called is actually one of the glories of the church because this is the perfect place for imperfect people. Okay? This is the absolute best place for people who are a mess. Hospitals are for healing. Churches are for sinners and forgiveness and grace to be shown through flawed and broken people. And it's not only that God just kind of puts up with this and says, okay, we got to do it, because it's the fact that in this text, he also says, you are my precious possession. You are my treasure. And so God, looking at the entire, all creation, says of all the things that I could want, all the things that I could have, all the people that I could have, you are my choice. I choose you. You are the treasure above all treasures. You are what my whole being is about. Everything yearns for you, wants you, and I have you. And how do I know that that's true? Not just in words, but he gives up his own son for us. Romans puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not through him graciously give us all things? He pours everything out for us. You're the apple of his eye. And you'll see throughout church history that anytime there's been a movement, a great missionary movement, a great reformation movement, a great revival of any type that has spread throughout the nation, the world, wherever it is, it starts with one individual usually who has come to an astounding realization of God's grace. From Martin Luther and the Reformation to a John Wesley and the big revivals that happened throughout the United States, you can find it in missionary work elsewhere because one person is just amazed at God's grace and then through that other people become astounded at God's grace and are amazed at it and live and breathe it and then the gifts and the glory of the church are seen because of that grace. So I guess the question for us is, does God's grace and his amazing choosing of us freely and sacrificially so astound us? And as much as it does, boy, the glory and the gifts are going to be seen in this place. So I think you can see how this fits in with clarity, balance, and belonging. We're going to go through these pretty quick. First of all, clarity. We see the importance of Christian fellowship. It's not an institution. It's not a hierarchy. It is not, um, it is not a religious goods and services purveyor. It's not here to meet my consumer needs. It's here in this fellowship where I encounter the living God and see him breaking out in his glory through our relationships of forgiveness, grace, and truth. Wow. That's clarity about what we're about. Balance. Like I said, we don't, uh, we, we cherish the individual, but not individualism. We believe in community, but not collectivism. We're able to be united, but not uniform, differentiated, but not dis distant from each other. We are able to celebrate the fact that we can live in harmony, being very different individuals, but in love and service, just like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not uniformity 
but diversity in unity, and so can we. This teaching then, both global and local, keeps us from becoming either spiritual snobs and elites as if we're more important, or cultural elitists as if others are, you know, less. Gives us balance. And thirdly, belonging. And maybe for this part of the creed, it's probably more important than anything else. And maybe I'm going to push you a little more on this than you're comfortable with right now. It's okay. Because this is not an abstract teaching. Oh, wow, we're part of this whole Christian church. It's really about belonging, about community, about being known and being fully known and knowing others. So we believe that it's great here on Sunday morning. We've got a gathering here, but I'll tell you, no matter how wonderful this fellowship in it is and as much as it grows, you cannot know 90, 100 people intimately well. You do not have 100 close friends. You just won't. You can't. Jesus didn't even try to do this, right? And that's kind of the problem with our society right now is um, where our connectivity with people is. We're 100 miles wide and about an inch deep. Oh, we've got friends that we can spend time talking about football and going out to parties and having events and doing fun things and even talking about, you know, Chip and JoJo and what they did to the house. But we really don't get to know each other. I lost some of you there, I'm sure. And other people, it's like, yeah. But the point is, you really don't know Chip and JoJo, and I don't know you if that's all we talk about are Chip and JoJo. Have you ever figured that out? So we're a, if you try to know 50 people, you don't know anybody. That's why we are... We believe the engine for our discipleship, the real quality and depth of this place is not going to be even on what happens on Sunday morning, but what happens in our home huddles, in our huddles, in one form or another, where you can be known and fully known, where you can be prayed for, where you can open up and be yourself and know you can experience God's grace. You can see your own giftedness and you realize the royalty that you are in those home huddles. So I'm going to ask you to consider, like Jesus, he had 12, and then he, even of the 12, he had three that he was really close to. Consider maybe the next step of being in a home huddle. We've got our sheets outside. On the, all five, they're nice and blank right now. There's five different ones that are going on at the moment. And if there's another one that you're going like, these times and places don't work for me, that's great. Talk to me about it. We'll start another one. You might be uh, starting it, but we'll start another one. We're really seeing. I'm, and if you don't think it's great, just talk to anyone in this congregation right now that's in a home huddle. And the things that I've heard in my own home huddle that we've got, you know, the one that we're a part of, or any of, it's like, wow, this is so good. I don't know why we, you know, this is where we're really getting to be known and fully known, and we're having the community that God always intended. Okay. So, you need deep relationships. You don't need to be 100 miles wide and an inch deep, but you need to go deep with a group that's the size that can uh, do this. So that is clarity, balance, and belonging. And that's my prayer for us as we confess and say we believe in this, the Holy Christian Church, universal, Catholic, the communion of saints. Let's pray. Lord God. Um, 
Why you chose us astounds us. It's all by your grace. Why we're here, it's all by your grace. How you've gifted us as prophets, priests, and royalty, it's all by your grace. Why, Lord, you would call us to be yours, <laughs> we are amazed. For those, Lord, who've been looking on the outside into this whole Christian thing, who've been burned by the church, who've tried it and walked away time and again, I, Lord, we understand it's tough. Tough to live in relationship with others, tough to be open to others and vulnerable, and tough to face some of that, Lord, but we ask that you would move in our hearts and lives in such a way that we would open ourselves up, that you would place us in a place where we really belong, and we can invite and have others belong to. Lord God, we pray that Thrive would be such a place, that we would thrive in our relationship with you and with others. That's what we're about, Lord. This, your holy church, universal yet local, global and grace-filled. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.